Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's Word and His presence to change your life. We're glad you're here. If you don't know, uh, my name is Brayden. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, my wife and I, we actually live here now. We planted the church, the first Renew Life Church in Midland years ago and then came to Lubbock to help Keith and Natalie uh, get Renew Life Church Lubbock up and off the ground, and it's been pretty incredible to see what God's done here so far. Uh, it's interesting. The, when we planted our first church, I was there every Sunday, so I had one group of people to get to know and one church to get to be a part of, and now we've got two. So uh, some of your faces I don't all the way recognize. Some I think I do, but uh, if you've never met me, I really would love to meet you. And so after the service, man, comes up, say hi, and uh, tell me how much the message changed your life forever. Just kidding, but anyway, really are really are glad you're here. If you're first, if this is your first time, we welcome you. Uh, you can be a guest today. You got to be family next time. We really do. Uh, as you saw during our ministry time, and just we just really feel like there's something special when the body of Christ actually does the ministry, not just the ones that get to wear the cool little Britney Spears headsets or whatever this is thing I'm wearing now. But anyway, uh, we really are glad that you're here. And would love for you to consider being a part of our, of our family. But anyway, uh, we're going to jump right in. I, I didn't cover nearly as much in the first service as I thought I would. So it turned into a two-parter in the middle of our message. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, you've, if you've been here at all, well, if you've been here much, I should say, uh, at least when I've spoken, you'll, you'll, you'll regularly hear me speak around Ephesians 4. If, even if I don't read the scripture, uh, I'll at least quote it, Ephesians 4 is one of those scriptures where I feel like personally I get a lot of my uh, personal assignment from. And so uh, I think there's a lot of um, revelation in Ephesians chapter four uh, as it pertains to God's plan for the church, how he plans to equip and take care of his church. And so because that's one of the things that I do, uh, it's important that I keep that in, in front of my mind. But I wanna bring a couple things to your attention. Just, and I think it's just good to read. Uh, starting in verse 11, it says, And he himself gave, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why did he do this? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so Jesus, uh, in, uh, in Bible school, if you've ever been to Bible school, they would tell you, I've never been, but I've taken some class, not all the way, but I've taken different things. And and they would tell you these are the Christ gifts. And according to Scripture, there's three sets of gifts. There's the Father gifts, the Christ gifts, and the Holy Spirit gifts. Uh, these in Ephesians 4 are called the Christ gifts. So Jesus gave these gifts to the church. There's some, there's some symbolism in that. They came from him. Christ is the husbandman. He's the, the head of the church. He's the, the, the church is his bride. And so this is in these five gifts is how the husband is taking care of his wife while he's gone until he returns. Does that make sense? So it's very, a, lot of, a lot of importance when, what, what he's talking about here in how, how he uh, distributed these five gifts and what they're there to do. Uh, these gifts are not there necessarily to do the work of the ministry. It's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I think in uh, especially American church history, we've, we've put all the work on someone called to ministry. Uh, let me just tell you, if you are in this room, if you are a human being, you are called to ministry. Uh, your ministry might start, uh, or your, your ministry might be at home, your ministry might be uh, in education, it might be in politics, it might be actually working for a church, it might be in agriculture, uh, but you have a call of God on your life, and my part of my job, at least, is to equip you in that calling. 
Verse 13 says, till we all to come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by one, every wind of doctrine. So what's he saying? If with these gifts and this training and this equipping and everyone stepping up into what they were called to do, uh, we grow up. We mature. We don't get, uh, and mature people don't get confused. And uh, when they hear something that's not true, they are, they're able to discern and are aware of when this is, this is not what Jesus said. This is not God doing this. Uh, this is something else. Tossed about, uh, where, it's where it says that, um, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up. Everybody say, grow up. If you're married, look at your spouse and say, I wasn't talking to you. But grow up in all things to him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does it share. I love that part. Every part does it share, causing the body to grow for the edifying of itself in love. So as I've already somewhat alluded to this, it's an interesting thing because as a, as a disciple, I am called to do the work of the ministry as well. But as my, my assignment, or what I feel like my assignment is, uh, in the fivefold office, some, most people call this, some people call this in Ephesians 4, these five gifts, they'll refer, refer to it as the fivefold office of ministry. So I have, a, I have a responsibility and a role as just a disciple and Jesus follower, but I also have a role and responsibility uh, in this particular area as well. Uh, and I wanted to touch on this. I actually felt like I was supposed to talk just briefly about this because I think there's a lot of, um, I think, just curiosity in some about what does it look like to be called to ministry? Like, how, do you, how would you ever know if you were called to ministry? Uh, I'll tell you my story, then I'll show you some things in Scripture that kind of align. Uh, from a young age, I, I felt internally that I was called by the Lord. I felt like I was not just called to do something. I felt like I was called to work in a, a ministry of some sort. And uh, funny enough, I told the Lord, Lord, I will do anything except for pastor. I mean, you just tell me and I will do it. And uh, here we are. Um, but um, no, I, I, I felt that, I knew that, and I didn't have enough understanding to distinguish much other than that, but I kind of felt that I knew that. I found myself navigating closer and closer to ministry, saying yes to ministry. When I was playing college baseball, I, I felt the Lord pushing on me, and I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to preach. I'd have my teammates say, Connor, would you come give us a little you know, pregame Bible talk about stuff, and so I would do it, and then uh, I just continued to kind of reject it. I, I remember I told the Lord one time, in fact, the first message that I ever preached, uh, I told the Lord, I was in Tennessee going to school, and I told the Lord, I said, fine, if you'll have somebody ask me to preach at their church, I'll say yes. And in my head, I'm like, literally no one even knows I'm around here, <laughs> like no one knows I'm here. And the next week, I had one of my teammates come up to me and say, hey man, I know this is gonna sound really strange, but I was telling my pastor about you and he was wondering if you'd come preach at our church. And I'm like, no freaking way. That, no, he does not. And uh, it was a little Southern Baptist church and I'd never been, I've never been Baptist. And uh, so I was a little bit nervous about that already. And so I go to preach at this little Southern Baptist church and literally the pastor never met me before I got there that day to preach. And he walk, I walked into his office and I mean, he just started grilling me. He's like, what are you gonna preach on? What are you gonna preach on? And asking me all these questions and I was trying to, kind of fumbling through what I was gonna preach on and finally he stopped me and said, look, I know who you are and I know what you believe. And you know who we are and you know we, you know we don't believe those things. And so I'm, a, I'm sure you're not gonna preach on any of that stuff, are you? And I was like, mm-mm, no. 
I don't even think I want to preach now at all. <laughs> and it was absolutely terrible. I, I had some friends of mine from the, the church that I went to. They sat in the back. It was the pastor's son and his cousin, and they sat in the back. And like, they tried to amen me, but like their amens didn't even make it to the front through all the religion it had to pass through. But it was like, <laughs> it was terrible. I hated it. They hated it. No one liked what happened that day. And I got done and I was like, see, Lord, I told you, you picked the wrong guy. I'm done with this. And the next week I go, I'm at practice again. And another guy from my team walks up to me and goes, hey, uh, I heard, my, we heard that you preached at, at Oh, so-and-so's church, we were wondering if you'd come preach at our church too. And I'm like, did you not hear how it went? Like, this was, this was terrible. And so it was a crazy thing, and it was another Southern Baptist church, and I'm like, Lord, come on, man, what is it with these Southern Baptist church? Like, and so I go and um, didn't really know what to expect again, and it was an absolute, total different experience, absolute packed house, had the most fun I'd had in a long time, gave an altar call, um, there was a, an 80-year-old woman on the front row, and uh, when I gave the altar call, she gave her life to the Lord. And um, <laughs> which is, that's in and of itself, that's just in your head, that does something weird when like an 80-year-old woman like responds to your little stupid 25-year-old message. And uh, <laughs> And I remember after the, after the service, she came up and she said, I've been going to this church my whole life and I've never really heard the gospel until now. And um, that, that, that marked me. And it was one of those things where I knew this is what I was born to do. And the, even though things didn't go the way I thought they were supposed to go at first, I think that service and even everything that happened that day was the Lord just confirming, if you'll keep saying, yes, I got this. And it won't always go like you thought it was going to go, but I got this. And so I continued to say yes to the Lord. I continued to do different things. And um, I will say this, I, I knew I was called to ministry. And then I heard some, even the teaching on Ephesians 4, and I felt like I knew which one of those I was. And I went to a pastor and a spiritual leader in my life and told him. And uh, it, was, it was some training that I went through in that. And then it was years later uh, even years after that, I mean, I would say from the time I felt called to ministry, I mean, I was from a very young age, I was probably, I don't know, 32, 33 years old before I felt like this draw from the Lord of like, it's time to step into, the, you've been prepared. And I was in ministry. I was a pastor already, but I wasn't carrying the anointing that went with the gift yet. And I had not been separated under ministry quite yet. And so uh, about that time, I started to feel something different come on my life. And it was at that time that other leaders in my life, other prophets even, began to see that I was called to this. And I wasn't telling people what I was called to. I let other people confirm that. I think that's very, very important. If you do feel like you're called to ministry, you can know that you are called. Wait till you are sent. Uh, wait till somebody else sees what's on your life. And I had people start to say like, hey, I really see this on you. Hey, I really see this on you. And so, uh, and I felt something in, my, in me began to change. Uh, David, if you go back to the story of David, Saul, I'm sorry, um, um, Samuel came to Jesse's house to anoint the next king of Israel he anoints David, you know the whole story there. David was, a, we think, was about 12 years old when that happened. So he was anointed the next king of Israel at the age of 12. Then he goes right back into the field. It was after the anointing to be king that he, was, that he killed Goliath. It was after that that he began even to serve a, a king in the palace playing the harp for Saul when Saul was tormented. 
by spirits. And so he had the anointing, had the call of God on his life, but there was a season of preparation called the lion, the bear, the giant, the serving of a king who tried to, eventually tried to kill him. And so from the, it wasn't until David was 30 years old that he actually stepped into his role and was separated into his role as into the thing that he was actually anointed by the Lord to do when he was 12 years old. I only say that to say that when it comes to uh, the call of God on your life oftentimes, uh, especially as it pertains to ministry, the calling's the easy part. Be, everyone's called. There's a lot of people that are called. The willingness to go through the preparation all the way up to the point where you're separated and sent, that takes time. That takes preparation. Saul, the, uh, uh, the apostle Paul, had an encounter with the Lord and was doing ministry for 14 years. And it was, four, it was 14 years later that Paul, I'm sorry, Paul, well, Paul ends up at the Jerusalem Council and James says, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas. It was only 14 years later after his encounter with the Lord, after preaching for 14 years in other cities, that he was actually sent with the anointing to do the thing that he was born to do. Uh, so I just, if, if you feel like you're called to ministry, uh, I would just encourage you, uh, do not take lightly the season of preparation and do not, under any circumstance, went into ministry, be sent into ministry. Now, there are a lot of people that go into ministry, like they make this choice as if it was their choice to just go do something. I propose to you surrender to that gift. Most promotions should surprise you. If you're, fully per, if you're fully persuaded that you're ready, I'm fully persuaded that you're not. I'll just leave that one right there. Um, <laughs> that's enough of that. I'll just say that on that, on that note, one of, as an equipper, as someone who feels called to equip saints for the work of the ministry, one of the things that oftentimes is difficult to, nav difficult to navigate is this big book called the Bible and this big kingdom and all the things that are in it and all the things that I don't even know exist yet and have no revelation on. But as, a, as someone called to equip, one of the most difficult things, and I think most pastors, preachers, teachers, whatever will tell you this, it's knowing what I'm supposed to say, knowing what you're supposed to do. And so I would say my probably the most difficult thing for me on a regular basis is knowing that if it's my turn to teach or preach or whatever, it's like, all right, Lord, what, what do you wanna say? Like, this, I take this very, very seriously and I don't just pick something out of, ran, you know, randomly pick something. I, I wanna hear from the Lord. And uh, my last time to preach here, I think was three or four weeks ago. And as soon as I got done preaching that next Monday, I was before the Lord like, okay, what's, what's next? What would you have me say next? And he actually dropped this message in my heart then. Um, and so it's, it's important that you be led by the Spirit as, a, as an equipper. And oftentimes, when the Lord tells us what we're supposed to preach on, it's so big to us, pastors will come to you and say, this may be the most important thing you'll ever hear me say. Anybody ever heard a preacher say that? It's like, man, if you can just get this one thing, it's like there's a billion one things. Like next week, it's a whole different one thing than it was the week before. But, but this week... <laughs> is the most important thing. Uh, no, seriously, I, I really did feel like the Lord said, hey, it's time to preach on love and, um, and talk about love. And the phrase he gave me uh, was equipped with love. And so the title of the message today is actually equipped with love. And I wanna read to you from 1 Corinthians 13, a passage of scripture that most of you in here will probably be very familiar with. It says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a, claiming, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, know all the mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. 
And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. And we could pause right there and just try to envision this particular person. Let's call this a person that he's describing. We're talking about a person that has the, the language of men and of angels, the ability to prophesy, has all wisdom, all understanding, all knowledge, all faith, not all faith, but the kind of faith that can move mountains. Now, I know according to Scripture, the Bible says if you don't have a faith inside of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Well, apparently nobody that I know has the faith of a mustard seed because I've never seen a mountain move, uh, at least not physically. But this is a person that's actually got some faith. This, this is a person, in my language, I'd say they're packing some heat. This is the person that's got something. And yet according to scripture, if they had all of those things in their fullness, in their entirety, but it was absence of love, it would be worthless. It'd be absolutely worthless. And that's sometimes hard to wrap your mind around. It's like, wait a minute, if this person can do all of those things, like it's gotta be doing some good. It's gotta be profiting something. Not according to scripture, it's, it's worthless. It's nothing. Then he goes on in verse four. Love is patient, love is kind. It's not jealous, it doesn't brag, it's not arrogant, it doesn't act unbecomingly, it doesn't seek its own, it's not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails, but if there were gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away, for we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. It's interesting, he's using, he keeps using this language of partial as if all of those gifts of the Spirit, all of that power stuff is just partial. It's part of what you're supposed to be getting. Then he takes it a step further, almost to call it immature. He says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will... No, fully, just as I have also been fully known. But now faith, hope, and love, these three abide. I'm sorry, abide these three, but the greatest of these, the greatest of these is, is love. You can see the language here where he's alluding to true maturity has nothing to do with tongues, prophecy, faith that moves mountains, all wisdom, all knowledge. And I think we would look at someone that had the ability to do those things and we would assign it mature. We would say that's Oh, wow, that, that's mature right there. I, I, I don't know how to prophesy. I don't, I don't speak in tongues I, or whatever. And we would say that person that does may be more mature. But according to scripture, that's just, that's the, that's the baby stuff. And if you know anything about walking in love, you know it takes some real maturity, some real moxie to actually walk in love. Some of the other stuff's pretty easy, especially when it comes to walking in love with those that are, walking in love with others that are not equally walking in love with you. We do this every week. We, we make time. Keith alluded to it. That's what I, we call it our ministry time. It's the time where we say, Holy Spirit, you don't have to interrupt our service to get to speak. You have 15, 20, whatever minutes, however many minutes you want, but we're making a time where you can speak every Sunday. We have a plan, but you, you are built into, built into our plan. You ever seen those, um, 
<laughs> those survival shows. Some, I think there's one, the one that I was thinking about, was, I think it's called Alone. Is it Alone, Keith? It's, it, you ever seen that show Alone where they take these guys out in the wilderness and they only get a few things, but whoever lasts the longest gets a big chunk of money. That's quite a bit of money. And uh, if you're married and you've ever watched this show with your husband, I promise you, you've heard this. You've had to listen to your husband tell you all the things he would have brought. Uh, where he would have built his shelters, like, no, no, he shouldn't have put, that A-frame is never gonna stand it. It's just, and we wouldn't make it 30 minutes out there, but we've got it all figured out, right? Um, but I actually do, I love watching that show, a little bit of an outdoorsman myself, and so I actually do love watching that and like, think like, ooh, what would I do? What would I take? Would I bring a hatchet or a knife or a bow or a, would I bring fishing on and a hook or a gill net and how would I do a lean to or like what? All these different things. And all of those things are, they're good and those are fun to think about. But of all the things that in those shows, what is the absolute one thing that if they don't get it figured out immediately, they won't last longer than three days? Water. I don't care how smart you are, how good your shelter is, how, how your ability to make fire without a fire starter and all, all the things, if you don't have water, you absolutely can't make it. And I propose to you that love is the water of the kingdom. Love is the water of the kingdom. There's so much to the kingdom. There's so much fun to be had in the kingdom. There's so much power in the things of God. But I propose to you, none of it lasts, none of it's worth it if you don't have the water of the kingdom which is love. Um, I'm gonna have to reset my, my deal just freaked out on me just a second here and I can't read it. Um, I, I wanna talk and I, and I had a, I knew the first service, like I said, this turned into a two-parter. I wanna talk today mostly around the idea of what I consider to be the, the first and foremost um, way that we, learn to and are equipped with, with love. And I'll just say it this way, nothing helps you administer the love of God more than knowing and experiencing the love of God firsthand. You cannot give the love of God if you have not known the love of God. You cannot give the love of God if you have not experienced the love of God. I'll probably read this, this scripture again at the end of the service just because it, it seems to tie it in even more so, but uh, the new commandment in the book of John, Jesus actually tells the disciples, I give you a new command. As I have loved you, now you love others. I don't even, I won't even know the one command, the great command. You say, what about the other 10 commandments? If you do the one command, you're doing the other 10. If you're loving well, you're not stealing, you're not killing, you're not dishonoring your parents. You're, if you love well, you're fulfilling the other 10. But he says, this new command I give, that you love one another the same way I have loved you you love others. You literally won't know how to do the one command that you have under the new covenant if you've never experienced it for yourself. Keith did this in the first service. He kind of did it in the, some in the second, but there was one particular lady that I was watching in the first service, and I, it was such a beautiful picture of, of, of some of the things I want to I say because Keith began to, in his ministry time, he began to just talk about Jesus and the finished work of the cross and the righteousness of God. And you know how he even ministered in here somewhere. People were being too hard on themselves. And raise your hand if you feel like you've been too hard on yourself. And it's, it's, a, it's a journey for all of us to continue to find ourselves hidden in Christ. That, that concept is simple yet complex. And, um, 
I, what I was watching is I was watching this particular lady on the second, third row, second, third row in the first service. And as Keith was talking about the goodness of God, the righteousness of God, talking about Jesus, the finished work of the cross and all these different things, she just began to weep uncontrollably. She was just having such an incredible encounter with the Lord. And it really does speak to something very similar to, to what happened to me uh, years ago where I'd been on a journey and um, I'd, I'd just been put over my first campus. Uh, you know, I'd been a youth pastor and different things like that, but I was made the campus pastor of a church in Midland. Uh, this has been, I don't know, 10, 11 years ago. And uh, so I, 10, 11 years ago, we, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. And I had had a lot of training. I had a, to a certain degree, at least, at least for my age, I think I had some knowledge of the words. I had, had some education, different things like that. Uh, but I can honestly say I'd never really had an encounter with the Lord. And when I, one morning I had been going in on Sunday and I was praying over all the chairs. That was something I used to do every single Sunday. I would go through and I'd pray over every chair. And, and, um, and so I'd been doing that for, for quite some time. And one particular morning, man, something was different. There was a presence in that room that I knew was way, way bigger than anything that I had encountered. And I, it wasn't bad. It was good. But you, you know, in when the, in, the, in Luke, it talks about when the, the angels came to the shepherds in the field that they were afraid, they were terrified. Like even something, when, something good, like angels, when you're in the presence of something like that that's so much greater than you, there's like a fearful reverence. You can't even explain it. And that's what it was that morning. I was like, my goodness, there is something in this room with me. And um, I, I couldn't figure out what it was. And I prayed for all the chairs. And, uh, and so... I remember saying the word, well, Lord, I'll just, I'll just lay down. And I had been doing this thing where I would just lay down on the stage and lay before the Lord and worship. And when I said those words, I heard a voice from behind me, like actually heard it, say, uh, I'll just lay down with you. And it was like, oh, the hair on the back of my neck stood up and I was like just terrified, like what is this? And, and that was the beginning of this encounter where the Lord then later showed me that I, I was there, I knew whatever it was, I, I was able to see a foot with a sandal come over me and it stepped over the top of me and then laid down to my right. And um, I was just, it was a bizarre experience. I won't go into all that, but um, the, the movie reel, he was showing me a movie reel in the spirit because I was trying to figure out who it was and he was answering my thoughts because I couldn't speak. I was just muttering in tongues. I couldn't get any English out. And I, so I was just answering, he was answering my thoughts and I was asking, who is this? Is this an angel? Like, what is this laying beside me? And a movie reel popped up and he, through a movie that I knew, revealed that it was my brother, elder brother, who I knew to be Jesus sitting beside me. In that one encounter, it took months and even years to unpack this. What I became fully aware of is um, I'd, I'd been educated by the things of God. I had some understanding. I've had some correction from the Lord. Uh, I, I read my Bible, all these different things, but I just had an encounter unlike anything. I, I just experienced Christianity in a way that blew all the others out of the water. And all of a sudden, I was aware of the fact that it was just the presence, the tangible presence of God was, was what I was longing for. And it began a journey for me personally where I began to long to be with him, to be around him. And so that led to me actually just I knew that it was Jesus that laid beside me, so I knew there had to be something to Jesus, and I began to study 
just study the life of Jesus. And anywhere I saw Jesus or grace, I would just read. I want to know every scripture about Jesus, every story about Jesus. And, and, I, and I even had a, what I'll call a faraway mentor by the name of Joseph Prince. You've probably heard of him. He's, he's got some of the best material on the planet on the finished work of the cross and grace. I read every one of, every one of his books. I listened to every sermon I could get my hands on. Uh, I think there were multiple times where I'm like, I think I can preach this message for you. Like, I've heard it so many times. But the most interesting thing began to happen. I began to go into my office. I would come in in the mornings. I would go into my office, shut the door. And my, I wanted to study Jesus. I wanted to study grace. I wanted to see Jesus more clearly, know him better. But as I, as, after several days of this, it's almost like, um, it's almost like I was a cylinder, this is a little odd, but like, just bear with me. It's almost like I was a cylinder and I was eating and drinking of Jesus and more than I needed. It was like, it, I just couldn't get enough of it. And so it was like a cup was filling over or, or filling up. And all of a sudden, it's like I got to a point where there was this overflow and all of a sudden I, would, I could walk in my office and before I could get very far into studying anything, the tangible presence of God and the love of, well, at the time I didn't know that it was the love of God. I could just feel the presence of God. And before you knew it, I was just laying in the floor crying. And I just did not know why. I had never felt like anything like that before. I'm not really a crier. I'm, I, I, I have one emotion and it's aggression. It's like, <laughs> but like I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not like that. But man, I mean, something just began to happen. And I just... I would just cry and I would get in there and I would even like just lean towards the Lord a little bit. And next thing you know, I would just turn to worship music. All I wanted to do was worship him. And the more I worshiped, the more I would just feel, I would just lay on the floor, there's a puddle and it's a mess. And I'm just like, what is happening to me? Like, this is terrible. Like, I can't let, I can never be seen like this, you know? But again, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of unpacking because when, you know, how sometimes you're in the middle of something, God's doing something in your life and it's weeks, months, years later before you're like, oh, not. Nah, now I see what that was about. I, I was experiencing it then, but I now have understanding now. It's taken me a while to realize this, but when I, I, when I was looking at Jesus and focusing on Jesus, it drew the love of the Father to me. And I, through looking at Jesus, the, Jesus is a picture of the love of God. Everything Jesus did and everything said leads you into a love relationship with God. And when I was studying this stuff from, from uh, and again, Joseph Prince was kind of like my mentor at that time. He, he's, he'll, he's never met me, probably never will, but he was mentoring me through his teaching. And um, in, that, in that moment, I remember a lot of people were coming against him and the message of grace and the me- all the stuff that he was teaching. And they would say things like, oh, with this, this whole grace thing, you're just looking for permission to sin. And I'm like, they mu- whoever that said that or whoever's doing that, must be getting something that, different than what I'm getting. Because the more I look at him, the more I see what he did, the less I want to sin. And not because he told me to, I want to love him well. I, I want to honor his life with my life. The more I saw what he did, the more love I felt. And all of a sudden, my obedience, my performance for him was no longer obedience-based, it was love-based. He just, I could not, the more I saw Jesus, the more I felt the love of God. The more I saw Jesus, the more I felt the love of God. And I became aware of the, well, and so then a few things began to happen. And what I, 
what began to happen in my life was I was so seeing and experiencing knowing the love of God, the more I experienced it, the more I was able to perform the love of God. And all of a sudden, years of wanting to have been a better husband by knowing in my head, I need to do this better. I need to stop being such a smart aleck. I need to stop being so short. I need to stop being so quick to get angry. My mind knew that the scripture said I should not be acting like that way. Anybody else been there where you're like, what is it Paul said? The thing I hate, I do. The thing I love, I don't. It's like, what is going on? You know in your mind, you know what the Bible says and you're quote unquote trying to do that. There were things I had been trying to do. I wanted to be softer. I wanted to be more tender. I wanted to be so many things that love was. I just wasn't doing a very good job of it until I started encountering love. And all of a sudden, knowing the love of God made me able to perform the love of God. I propose to you, if, you've, if you don't know how to be loved, you cannot love. In fact, I'll even go so far as to saying it's actually the number one problem with most people. They actually don't, they don't know how good the love of God is. They've never encountered the love of God. They don't know what to do with it. They don't know what some of the things Keith was talking about earlier. It's like, you can't imagine that someone somewhere in the heavenlies has seen everything that you've done, knows every thought that you think, good, bad, and ugly. And some are really ugly. You literally cannot wrap your head around the idea that someone could know that and want to be with you and want to be around you. You cannot wrap your head around that. You cannot wrap your head around a God that loved you so much in your sin that he would send his perfect son, Jesus, to die just so you could hang out again. That is incomprehensible. But I propose to you, if you don't get really good at that, you will never be good at fulfilling the command of love, which is to love those, love everyone else, love others the way that I have loved you. You want to get better at loving? Learn to be loved. Find yourself, get yourself in places where you can be loved. Let me read Ephesians chapter 3 and we'll wrap this up. It says, when I, when I think of this, this is Paul talking to the Ephesians. He said, when I think of all this, Ephesians chapter three, verse 14, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love. What is the foundation for your life? It is the love of God. It is not the power of God. It is not faith. It is none of those things. Your roots need to be in his love. Your roots will grow down in the love of God and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep His love is. And may you experience the love of Christ. That's where I wanted to get. Though it is too great to understand fully, I promise you there will be times where your, your mind can, cannot, cannot catch up with what you're experiencing. I even go so far as to say I propose most of the things in the kingdom, you, your mind could never go as fast as your experience could. By faith, go for an experience and let your understanding catch up later. Religion goes the other way. You don't get to experience what you don't understand. I propose the kingdom's the other way around. His faith, his mercy, his goodness is so rich. He will literally encounter you in such a way long before you ever behave a certain way, before you have understanding. 
then you will fully, what does he say? And may you be experienced the love of Christ, though it is true, great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete. Notice the last thing that has to happen for you to be made complete. It's experiencing the love of God. Then, after the experience, then will you be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Your completeness, having all the life that He's called you to have, all the power that He's called you to have is on the backside of you experiencing the love of God. I'll read this scripture again. Well, and I'll just say this. I, I'll, I'll give you very briefly. I, I thought this was just supposed to be a message on love. I've since come to understand that maybe there's more. It's, a, it's actually a prophetic thing that the Lord had me, um, a prophetic journey he had me on. He was just giving me bits and pieces of information. Uh, about eight to 10 weeks ago, I had a, a vision. I don't have these very often, but I had, this one was very clear. And I had this vision and what, some of it was personal, but I'm learning now that a lot of it was not. Um, it was corporate. I saw, I had this vision of this warrior and the, the, the look of the warrior was like Roman times, like 300 or something like that. Um, and it was this warrior coming back from battle and he was carrying a sword. And, and I, what I was keenly aware of was his mindset and I, the, the frame of mind that he was in at the time. And there was a mixture of blood and sweat going down him and he was walking home. But I was aware that he was walking home to re-engage in intimacy with his wife and family. And it was this strange dichotomy of like the mindset of a warrior and the mindset of a lover. It was very, it was very odd. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, if you've ever been in an actual, an actual fist fight, your, your adrenaline just ramps up in a way and it does weird things to your brain. And it's like you almost, you can't calm down. Long after the fight's over, it's like you can't calm, you can't calm down. Even if you've ever been in a fight with your, your spouse and you know you finally say all your sorries, but then you try to crack a joke and you realize not way too soon that we haven't, we're not ready for the jokes yet. Like you just said sorry 30 seconds ago. Like it's that like this adrenaline rush and even more so when it comes to actual war. And I, I remember years ago, I actually had a guy um, in the middle of the night, I was on a Saturday night, well, actually technically a Sunday morning, I was supposed to preach the next day. And all of a sudden we heard a guy, Leanne and I heard a guy outside our house screaming that I'm fixing to kick the door down and kill you. And his truck was just parked in the middle of the street. And so um, <laughs> this is almost embarrassing to admit, I didn't have a gun. And um, at the time, and so I was like, how do I not have a gun in this house right now? Like, this is ridiculous. And so I totally had to gather up our family and, uh, and lo they locked themselves in an upstairs bathroom. And so I just grabbed what I had, I had a hunting knife. And so I ran downstairs and I'm in my mind, because he kept charging the door and acting like he was fixing a kick and then he'd stop and then he'd back up. So I didn't know exactly what was going on. So I just leaned around the door frame where he couldn't see me. And I had this knife in my hand and I was thinking, okay, when he comes in, if he's got a gun, whatever, I mean, I'm literally, all I have is a knife. What's the, what's the saying? Don't ever bring a knife to a gunfight. I did. And, but I remember I was having these thoughts and I was like, okay, when he kicks the door in, I'm going to have to stab him right in the side of the neck. I've got to get rid of him as quick as I can if he chooses to break in. Cause I don't, that's all I have is this knife. And it's the weirdest thing came over me. I'm like, I'm sitting here. I've got a message of notes 
in the, my bedroom. I'm supposed to be preaching the love of God in the morning. And I'm thinking about how to stab a guy in the neck to make him stop moving as fast as possible. Like it was the weirdest thing. But I, I just remember your, your mind just goes to a really strange place. Like it's, you're, when you're in war, your adrenaline, everything's ramped up. And we, the, the guy ended up leaving. I didn't have to stab him in the neck, thank God. Um, and this, this vision, this warrior, I could almost sense that heightened sense in this vision. I could sense that like, I just killed people. Like I've just literally killed people. Like I've been in war, I've been in battle. And yet now it's over, but I don't know if I can put, I don't know if I'm supposed to put my sword down yet. Like it still was carrying his sword. And it's like, it was this weird transition. Uh, and, I, and I get this sense and I've dealt with this personally. When you've been at war, everybody becomes a target. And like you're holding your sword and you're like, you hear a sound, you like turn around like, you know, like, wait, it's just somebody's going to the grocery store. It's like, it's not a battle, you know? But you're, you're, you're not real sure there's this in-between stage. And that's where this warrior was in his head. It's like, it was this in-between stage. But I knew that the, he was supposed to go home, take off all of his armor. And I had a vision of him walking into this tent thing and he washed off, he was washing his face and all the blood and sweat was being washed off of him. And then after that scene, he was, he was supposed to be intimate with his wife. And I just remember thinking, this is such an odd, that has to be such an odd mind space for this guy. It's like to go from this to this, two different trains of thought. I propose that as a church, we've been in a season of war. And, um, and I won't go into, I don't have time to go into a ton of that, but I, I just propose that. And I think that you've, if you've been in a church, around the church for very long, you have felt that. You have felt things that maybe you've never felt before, seen things you've never seen before. Everything's difficult, everything's hard, everything's under attack, so much so. And this is the worst part. We got in, it's like we got into a war with the enemy and forgot we were fighting the enemy and started fighting each other. And all of a sudden, there's all this fighting within the church. From what go all the way back when things started happening with social justice and the, uh, movements and Black Lives Matter and this, it's like, well, is it, are you Black Lives Matter? Or are you Blue Lives Matter? And you can't be both. You couldn't possibly be both. And if you are one or the other, if you don't put enough on on social media to show everybody what you are, well, we're mad at you too. And it's all churches, then COVID comes. Well, there's ton, and there's the election stuff. And then COVID comes. And it's like, did you keep your church open or did you not keep your church open? And now we're fighting and arguing. And if you, if you closed your church at all, you were a coward. And if you, if you opened your church, you had no wisdom. It's like, and we're all, next thing you know, we're fighting each other. And, I, and again, the circles, some of the circles I run in, I'm, I talk and, and had to do life with a lot of other church leaders. And sometimes I'm like, I don't even like your ad. Like, I don't even like you. Like, you're so aggressive. You're, you're always right. You, you hate this guy. And I'm like, I thought y'all were best friends. Like it's the most, I saw some of the most bizarre things. And, and two, I, not, and I, I'll say this, I do, per, the scripture says we wrestle not against flesh and blood because principalities, rulers, and dark places. I do believe that a lot of people were influenced by darkness in some of the things that they didn't say. I, I get that. And so sometimes like, I'm not fighting, fighting flesh and blood, but I'm pretty sure you got a demon in you. So I was like, I'm not really sure what's going on here. Anyway, all that was just to say, we've been in this crazy season of war. And I, and I felt like what the Lord was showing me is this, in this vision was the transition of maybe what was some of the stuff going on in my mind of why do I feel like it feels kind of like war, but it feels like we're not supposed to be in war. 
I still feel some of the anxiety and the adrenaline rush from the wars that I've been in, but I also equally hear you saying like, hey, put down your sword. It's time to come back to love. And I genuinely believe that's where the Lord's taking us as a church. There's been some things that we've been warring against. There's been a battle in some ways going on, but I think it's time for us to put the swords down, put the shields down and learn to love again. Learn to really, really love again. I mean, if after, after all, if, if we could be experts in the things of the Spirit, experts in tongues and faith and prophecy and wisdom and understanding and generosity and sacrifice, if we could be expert in those, yet not have love and it be worthless, I propose we need to get really good at love or none of those things even matter. I know how, I know how this stuff goes. I know there's I know how rumors get started. Hey, y'all need to go to that church. That, man, they, they pray for the sick. They believe, in, they believe in the presence of God. They believe in signs, wonders, and miracles, and it draws a certain kind of people. Can I just say, I, don't want, I would rather be known for our love than our wonders. I would rather be known for that. I want the other. We're gonna keep doing the other. It's, part of, it's a part of it. But I believe this Bible more than I believe anything else. And if it says it's all worthless, if, it doesn't have, if it's not done in love, I don't want it. What, what did he say in 1 John? A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our wonders will not let the world know that we're Jesus followers. Our, our love will. The signs, the wonders, the miracles, the prophecy, I want all of those things. I believe in all those things. Please hear my heart. But that's actually not what shows the world that we're true followers of Jesus. It's do we love well? And I had a whole list of things. And again, this will be a two-parter. We'll turn it into a two-parter because I want to come back and I really want to go down that list. There's a lot to be learned there in 1 Corinthians 13 as to what does love look like. And oftentimes when we are immature in something, you start with obedience. You start by, by faith, being obedient to certain things, just like other kids. They don't understand why we have them doing some of the things that we have them doing, but it's for their own good. You just need to do what mom and dad tell you to do. And eventually you go, oh, now I know why I'm supposed to do that. Kingdom works the same way. There are some things and as it pertains to love, if we'll just learn to do better at some of these things, it'll start to catch up. It'll, it'll start to catch up. And, and uh, the best way I say it, we'll know to spiritually and mentally ascend into understanding of, oh, now I see why that is so significant and so important. Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out renewlifechurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon.